Hello, it is 10 a.m. in New York, 4 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 9 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Shenander Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. So my sister and I run an impromptu FaceTime call. For some reason, I was woken up from a storm and happened to check my phone, saw my sister was online, and what do you know it, we're having a call around midnight. And I can't tell you how it came up, but during our call, she said to me, Sunday, just in case you don't know, I'd like to be cremated. And I thought, what? Okay, okay, but what about me? What do I want? Where would I put my ashes? And we had this conversation that followed about questions that we actually don't want to answer. It's kind of one of those questions where I want to put my fingers in my ears and go, la, 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 and just pretend that these questions don't need to be answered. So, of course, that is when I committed to do a three-part series on tough questions we like to avoid, but do need to answer. And today's episode kicks it off with a question that many couples face, but as it is with cremation, (laughs) we don't want to answer it. And the question that an author and former guest of Expat Happy Hour has posed is, so whose career is it going to be? Yours or mine or ours? And this is a question I've had to face in my own relationship and for any family that's out there living a globally mobile life. Maybe you face it too. If you decide to adopt or you have children, that adds yet another layer of complexity. What if you are in a binational marriage and you've spent your whole time trying to find your feet in your partner's home country and suddenly they're faced with a job that will bring them outside of the place that you worked so hard to create home. These are critical questions. And what is at stake is an assignment abroad, a career, a relationship, or maybe even the constellation of a family. Big questions, uncomfortable to talk about, but well worth answering with intention. And that is exactly why I've invited back our special guest, Yvonne Kwa, to Expat Happy Hour today. Yvonne, welcome back to Expat Happy Hour. Well, Sunday, thank you very much for having me. Can I just respond about the cremation? Yeah, yes, I'd love to hear your I, I, answer. I'm from, I'm from Singapore and uh, we don't have a choice, so we will be cremated. But I too was asked that question, so what shall we do with your ashes? And suddenly I thought, well, you know what? I want it scattered in the warm sea any warm sea. I hate cold seawater and cold water in life. So why would I want it in another life? So it's settled for me. Warm water. Beautiful. (laughs) I love it. Okay. I'm going to say just for the record, I want to be in Lake Sakakawea, my home state and where I grew up. So if I don't ever answer this question officially, take this answer (laughs) from my podcast. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I'm so happy you decided to join me again. For those who recognize um, Yvonne, she was in episode 197, Dual Career Couples, and we talked about 
this question at the time your book was in process and now it has hit the shelves. And what I love about your work is that you have actually looked at the complexity of this, added to the cultural complexity that comes with it, gender dynamics, all kinds of things that come into play. And you've given the tools to answer the question in a way, if it's done well, everybody wins. So before we dive in, Yvonne, I just want to tell the listeners a little bit more about you for those of them who didn't catch our first episode. Yvonne is the World Bank Group Family Network lead. She's also a facilitator, a coach, and an HR professional, and an author of the book that we're talking about today, Whose Career, Yours, Mine, or Ours. So we're really happy for you to take the time today to help us understand why this question is so important and the process on how people can come to their own answers. So before we dive in, I'm just curious, why did you write a book about this question? Well, because really, both in my own life, starting in my own life, and uh, in my work, in the course of my work, which is uh, over 20 years, you know, pushing 25 years, I have seen that particularly the accompanying partner just pays such a high price for, for, for this. And more people are unhappy than happy with their lives. Although on the surface, uh, and many of them say, you know, people say to me, why, why should I... What, what are you complaining about? Sometimes even mm -hmm. their spouses don't understand. What is this? You know, you have everything. You mm -hmm. have a good life. Mm -hmm. And depending on location, you even have household help and, and you're still not happy. So what's wrong? Right. So I think it, it, it really is that also the demographic is changing. And uh, women in particular particular are well-educated, extremely capable. And I think in a way it's somewhat cruel where they have nowhere to go with it after a while. Right. right. And so actually, this is after the fact, but I had a huge aha since writing the book and talking to many, many people who have re reacted and responded to. And I've suddenly really suddenly realized why it's so challenging. It is challenging because it's the collision of three types of loss. Hmm. It is the lo ambiguous loss. You know, it's like the father who's there but not there. Mm. And so you can't bring closure to this, especially if you move from rotation to rotation. Mm -hmm. Then there is the hidden loss, which is the loss that comes with transition grief a loss of a lifestyle, your friends, the relationship, the place you were before. And then if you go to the definition of dual career couples, dual career couples, actually, one of the traits is that not apart from financial reward, they look for psychic reward. Mm -hmm. And when mm -hmm. you can't continue your career, your psychic reward is also lost. So mm -hmm. when these three losses collide... The ambiguous loss actually never brings you closure because you keep repeating it. Because mm -hmm. right. every time you move, you hope something will be different. And guess what? It's same, but it's, you know, it's different, but it's the same, right? Exactly. Exactly. And there's things that are going on outside of you, which are 
put in front of you as if it should fulfill you, but they're not. A lot of my clients say they're happy, but unsatisfied. That's why we start working together. I think that fits. So this is, this is wonderful to kick off by talking about that triple loss. And it goes into what you talk about in your book about the punishing landscape for the accompanying partner. Part of it are the losses that are hidden and the disruptors (laughs) that are there in our lives. Can you say more? And I'm guessing this, the listeners don't really need to know what the punishing landscape is because they probably live it. But for those who are maybe not the accompanying partner, or maybe even people who are in part of an organization and are listening because they want to learn more, what, what belongs to that punishing landscape? Okay. Well, I mean, the obvious, you know, I I, I classify now the loss as the internal and external losses. The external losses are nothing that you can control. Up to a point, you can control work permit situations, language challenges, the lack of employment opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, in many countries, in principle, you can work, but then by the time you prove all, all the different conditions, you, you actually can't get the permit, especially when local unemployment is very high. And, and so I think those are the challenges. I think we've touched on the internal challenges. And I want to connect with what you said earlier, Sunday. You said a lot of your clients feel that uh, they're not satisfied in the end. They might be happy, but not satisfied. Now, those are two different things, right? Right. Now, the satisfaction, I think, in the old days, there was these this idea of the career in your suitcase, get onto the board, you know, fake it till you make it and things like that. So you do, it's very short-term thinking, you do what's at hand, what's in front of you. And in the end, there is no satisfaction because it's not related to your core. It's not related to your strength. You're just doing it mm. because opportunity presents itself. Now, sometimes in doing that, we discover something new. And those are the ones that I think are really happy when a quote-unquote career experiments turn out to be a calling. But if you actually look at the numbers, you will see that, you know, many, more than 50%, I can't remember it offhand, expat accompanying partners say that they are not satisfied with their careers. Right. Even even right. those who can work report underemployment, particularly, mm-hmm. right? right. Uh, and so that that I think, you know, sort of very clearly shows that reason why you can't why sometimes you end up feeling very not satisfied. As right. somebody said to me, you know, I've given and given and given. You know, my, my, my spouse is very successful. My children are fine. But now what about me 20 years later? Well, I can't help but listen to this and not think that this is directly tied to gender dynamics, historical gender dynamics, mm-hmm. right? That yes. this model, you know, my actually... I think she's my great aunt, if you want to call her that. She was in Brazil back in, I don't know, the 60s when they just had one telephone that they would call, you know, once a month and write letters. That was a totally different time. Um, And it was at a time where where women were just breaking into 
a new way of gaining foothold career-wise, right? And there's this thing that I'm feeling, like this conversation of, you know, <laughs> let's just keep you busy while I'm at work, honey. <laughs> like that, it just, we could not imagine reversing the roles and having that be okay. It's like on the Facebook feed, the man who has it all, he always does like reversals of gender dynamics and you always laugh at them because you see how ridiculous it is when you do the reversal. And I kind of feel like that's what happened. We've, we've moved on from a gender dynamic perspective much faster than our organizational systems and employment systems have, um, have moved forward. Yes, I think so. And in an odd sort of way, I would even dare to say we ourselves, deep down inside, if we talk about to, to flip to the male accompanying spouse, one of the challenges that male accompanying spouse has is what culture says to them and, and what they've been raised. So for them, there is a real dissonance. There's a part of them that understands this new gender dynamic and culture dynamic. And there's another part that is wrestling constantly mm-hmm. with, have I failed my parents? You know, what, right. and sometimes I, I remember uh, someone telling me that his mother would say, you're not doing the cooking, are you? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, mm-hmm. feeling that, so why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. kinds of questions, and you feel you've let the people close to you down. So, so, so in many ways, they they have more of a cultural struggle, I think, within and without, uh, than women do. Women have other struggles, but they're not the same ones. I don't, uh, I don't think. But what I also am finding interesting, you know, back to your aunt in the sixties, the women. I, I think women in the 70s and 80s are just on that cusp. And those who followed the traditional model in the 80s of women in the 60s are now finding 20 years later, gosh, what's there left for me? Hmm. They haven't been unhappy on the moon, mm-hmm. but they're, it's slowly beginning to dawn on them. What about me then? Mm-hmm. Yes. I have, I have women who are in their fifties and are asking now what right now that the nest is empty and their partner's mm-hmm. career has progressed for 15 years. They're now asking themselves now what they wouldn't regret a day of what they've done, but they're now wondering what's next. Mm-hmm. So we've looked at some of the gender dynamics uh, for women and how that's changing historically. You've touched on for the male accompanying spouse, which then challenges old gender dynamics, but now puts the the men in a position to now have to fight against gender norms on the other side, right? <laughs> and then there's also um, same-sex couples, right? So if we look at the the dynamic that this rotational expat life was created was based on a heterosexual couple, mm-hmm. right? So then there's another set of challenges for same-sex mm-hmm. couples when, when they're living Absolutely. this life. Absolutely. So, so far, it's been kind of a rough image <laughs> that we've, we've talked about with the punishing landscape, right? The things that are disruptive in our lives and the losses. But this, I'm the first person to say that choosing, if you have the ability 
and the privilege to choose to live abroad and be able to have work that gives you stability. I'm the first person to say, do it, right? So what are some of the things that you think are important for people to do when they want to say yes to this life and they want to support both people in the relationship? And that that idea of career is sitting, asking them the question, whether it is theirs mine or both? Well, I think the first thing is that the couple have to have conversations and I called it in the book, care conversations. They are often difficult and uncomfortable because you you, you have to talk about the things you don't want. Sometimes you have to look at the failures in your relationship, the things that perhaps maybe you haven't done to support your spouse not necessarily what the spouse hasn't done to support you, right? And so it requires a certain measure of uh, emotional capacity on the sides of the individual, as well as trust, and being able to answer those questions about what really matters to us, what kind of a life we want. Earlier in the beginning of the podcast, you said, but what if you adopt a child? What if children you know, you have children in the family, uh, what, what, what do you do? What, mm. how do we move forward on this with equity? When I say equity, mm-hmm. I don't mean equality. I mean mm-hmm. equity in the sense of equal access to opportunity for both couples, right? So right. one of the things I suggest in the book, there are two case studies which are very, very interesting to look at. One is case study one, which is the turn-taking model, which is that way you bring equity. And actually, I've been thinking about it more and more. And people who have done it say the turn-taking is uh, very successful. And that is because from the position of loss, there is reprieve from that loss when you take Mm -hmm. turns. So I lead, you lead, I lead, you lead, right? So at some point, For three to five years, say, there is reprieve. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think emotionally turn-taking works. Right. And when I'm hearing that, there's just something in my body that settles. Um, And it goes to that you have these, I'm not going to, you know, give away all the rules, but you give these eight golden rules and it Mm -hmm. really highlights how you need to be equally invested in each other, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And each other's path. And you talk about sharing the ups and downs of your career with with each other, that it's not just one person takes the entire hit, (laughs) right? And then the Mm -hmm. other person has the skyrocket, you know, effect on their career. And that's, that is a bold approach. It really is a bold approach. And it does go to a sense of equity. And right away in my head, when I hear that, I think our organizations are not designed for that approach no they're not well we'll get to what organizations can do but we'll for the moment i want to also talk about case study four where what was what is very interesting because in case study four that is the traditional model of primary secondary right Mm -hmm. a male accompanying spouse but in that you actually see what he does is carved out an identity for himself. So if we go back to the the three the 
collision of losses. If you go back to that framework, you'll see what he has done is that by carving a new identity, he's actually brought closure to that um, uh, uh, ambiguous loss. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking for a career anymore. I'm now looking for psychic reward elsewhere. Right. And not everybody needs to have a career. Exactly. And he chose not to. Of course, he was a mid-career person who opted out of it, but not opted out or he chose not to continue. But he gets a psychic reward. And Mm -hmm. in every location, he has become a sporting champion of some sort. When they were in Australia, it was golf. When they were in Switzerland, it was cycling. Now that they are uh, uh, in Eastern Europe, in Croatia, it's actually a triathlon. So Mm. he has carved an identity for himself, and he gets that psychic reward. Mm -hmm. It's not a hodgepodge. It actually is something that relates uh, uh, to his core. Now, what is very interesting is that they have a team vision. They're very... Mm -hmm. Uh, our centered, and most interestingly, I think that one of the few couples who have a shared bank account. Mm, that was exactly what I was thinking about was money, because yeah. that is where things get unequitable, right? When yeah. one person brings in the money and then therefore holds the power, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So how does that work? And so the team effort, so there they share mm-hmm. money and they share purpose, but their purpose is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And their purpose, but they have a, a common overarching goal, which is a life of adventure and travel, which they mm-hmm. both want. They mm-hmm. both make a contribution but in a different way. And I really like it because in actually in her interview, she told me that he actually said, you know, if you're going to work, you need to let me be the, 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 the stay at home dad, because mm-hmm. if you don't, and you try to do both. And I think this is so true that I have no role anymore. You're doing everything. Mm-hmm. And she had to learn to stumble through his learning curve, as it were. You know, the food might not be so good. Maybe the the, the kids are not the way I would have done it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But she realized that she had to give him something to do. And if she kept interfering, he would then have no role. So I think that's quite important not to criticize especially in role reversal, where many of the male accompanying spouses have told me, we've got to learn a lot of basic skills that we never, I mean, I think the younger men are probably more equipped, but, you know, those who are 40 and above, 45 and above, not used to it. Mm -hmm. Right. So giving each other space. I'm also hearing in Mm -hmm. that couplehood, they were really clear around boundaries, responsibilities, Mm -hmm who is in charge of what and asserting what your needs are, right. And having, having ownership. And that's why when you talk about the, the, the care code, right. Why having regular Mm -hmm. conversations is so important. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. why I developed that 
you know, I developed it, you know, in the book you'll read how the seeds were sown in our own life. I mean, as usual, I always feel I have to walk through it myself so that mm -hmm. when I put something out, I, I actually know it works. And the, the, with this care conversations, many people have said, I just don't know where to begin. You know, how do we talk about this? And therefore the code, the care code sort of helps you start somewhere. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it keeps sort of what I call, you know, some parameters for the discussion. And if it sort of degenerates uh, into conflict, you know, one partner can pull back and say, look, let's just focus on the C. You know, we're straying now into, in, 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 into, other, in, in, into other areas. So let's just focus on, you know, whatever you happen to be discussing uh, at the time. And I think in the end, you know, it comes down to three, what I call the care habits, because life changes. The pace of life is so fast. And the three mm -hmm. things I think, it, and, our, and our individual histories are so different as, as families, right. right? Exactly. And that there are three things, I think, is to have regular conversations, agree and respect your no-go zones. And I think your no-go zones, the maximum can be three. Once mm -hmm. they're more than three, nobody can, can can respect those boundaries. It's just too many. Right. It's cognitive right. overload. It's impossible. And to make shared decisions because you can all autonomy is important to individuals, all of us. Even in the cultures where it looks as if certain parties don't have autonomy. Autonomy is a human need. Right. And so it is important if you want to experience it as a win-win that you feel you had a choice in this, that you had some stake in it. Otherwise, I do think you feel you're following or being dragged along. It's like, I never wanted to go. I never signed up for this. Right. And then what I notice, exactly. And what I notice is then um, there's deep resentment that gets seeded. And what happens is it will come out after it's been festering for a long time. And the, the one with the lead assignment is like, um, you said yes, every single time I asked you every time. And it is, it feels like almost sabotage because the lead assignment individual always brought the options to the table in conversation. But if you are, and you talk about pitfalls in the book, if you are already already letting your career aspirations come second and not articulating them, then you're not having that conversation, right? You're not really in the conversation because you're already putting yourself second. And then it ends up um, being harmful to the relationship later. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, uh, Sunday, you stumble on something uh, so true. It's always in the later because in the mm -hmm. short term, it always looks pretty okay. I mean, say, yep. supposing I'm having a really hard time at work uh, and, you know, things are not going as well as I anticipated. And my partner comes home and says, hey, why don't we move to South Africa? Mm -hmm. And if I like, and actually I do love Africa, so it would be easy to say, yeah, why not? Right. And, and and let's just go. And you think, good, I don't have to deal with that. That's the subtext. Okay. Yes. And off I go. And it's only until three to four years later, or maybe sooner than that, yep. 
you suddenly realize, oh gosh, what, what, what did I, what was that about? What, what did I do? So I think, you know, sometimes uh, this taking the second place or not being fully present in the conversation that, as it were, is inadvertent, depending on what happens. Sometimes Absolutely. it happens during mid-career. Usually you have a mid-career, uh, what you call it, not a mid-career crisis, but a mid-career reassessment around about mm -hmm. 12 to 15 years. You've been doing the, not the same thing, but relatively similar career experiences. And you think, oh, maybe I need a change. So that's always a moment of reconfirmation or reinvention, depending on what you discover at that point. So if you then get an offer to go, it's quite easy just to say, yeah, why not? I, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore. And off again I go. So I think, you know, we're human and we're not perfect. But I think it's to catch yourself in that moment, in those moments after, and recalibrate and not just drift into, oh, well, now I've done this, I've given up my career. Because the more you drift, the, the, the further the swim back to shore is. Oh, and absolutely. And some people, some people get lost in the sea as well. Yes. And so what it makes me think about with these conversations is not having the conversations when the new list comes out, so to speak. Like if there's, you know, the, the assignment rotation ends or it's the next, you know, promotion, having these conversations before a critical turning point. Uh, because what I've watched is, you know, with, with my own life and what I've watched with my clients' lives is if you, for the person on the lead assignment, if they can start planting seeds early, not a big shock on the day of, you know, an offer landing, that then everybody's on board, right? So if a spouse says, hey, I'm really thinking about, you know, going back and getting my master's degree, and that would mean I would have to go back to home base for two years. So can you start looking for an assignment back at headquarters, right? It wouldn't take anybody off if this conversation is happening ongoing. So you've mentioned two case examples. Yeah, I want to make sure just in terms of time that we've got enough time to go a little bit further with the care model. I want to just highlight to the reader the model the care code is great in terms of giving you steps on what you can do as, as individuals and as a couple. What I love too, Yvonne, is it names the pitfalls. Like you have 12 pitfalls and it's like, oh yeah, seen that one, seen that one, lived that one, done that one, <laughs> right? They're, they're really good for people to be aware of, right? And I think this is what value you add is, um, wait a minute, are we doing that, Right. Are we making do with what is at hand rather than focusing on your own career, right? Like, are we doing that? I think that's wonderful. Um, but what do you think, what do you think most couples fail to do when it comes to pitfalls that they should really open their eyes to? I mean, I think, I don't know. I think the, the pitfalls are, are, are very individual. I think what I have done with the pitfalls is made the implicit explicit. So I would say it's that mm -hmm. you get the book. Unfortunately, you'll have to perhaps, if you want to see what the pitfalls are, uh, and, and or fortunately, and go through. And as Sunday said, done that, lived that, is this me? And then I think many couples I know who have told me what they do is they read it to each other 
And then they use that as a jump off point for their own dis reflection and say, you know, gosh, have we done this? You know, what can we do now? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 kind of mm -hmm. thing. So, I, I mean, to me, if there's right. one thing, I think, it's the importance of sharing your, your real fears. And sometimes you don't know all of them at the time. And I think the other one is really making shared decisions and being equally invested in each other. I, I think those are right. those are important things. But, you know, I know in the interest of time, I do want to say that organizations need to help too. And exactly. as you were saying earlier about that two-year assignment, maybe we go back to headquarters. So I think, you know, the care framework can be used by organizations in the, in the sense that they can ask their talent, you know, what really matters to you? I think also the assumption that they make that talent is only one person is now no longer strictly accurate. The talent is the team, right? And so they need to ask, you know, some information at least about the partner so that it can be fact, uh, factored in and they're taken as an entity and not one lone ranger. Uh, I, I think. Exactly. And also, I think, you know, in terms of the talent management strategy, it is to factor, you know, like job, what do you call it, different career experience, different functions to allow turn taking. If that person is talented, then mm -hmm. it's worth the investment in taking the time and just having a care conversation. They can explore as well. They can ask you, hey, what, what matters to you and your partner? And they can assess. I mean, you know, a lot of organizations can plan and also use whatever policies they have in hand to, to, to help the situation. And I think one is not to penalize flexibility. Say, if I want to go on leave of absence for three years, don't punish me. You know, don't take me off the, the, the high potential track. Who gets to decide what's worth a, a move, right? Like my parents are aging. My child has an illness. My wife has wants to finish her physics degree. Like who gets to decide what is reasonable, right? Who, who gets to say what is a good choice or not? I think I think it's hard work. I mean, you know, for for one moment, uh, uh, I don't think it's going to be easy to do. But I think change can begin by at least having the conversation. Eventually, no change is lasting unless the systems catch up, and then people have to change their behavior as well. Meaning, I can't talk to my talent as if they are one person. I need to consider at least, you said, you know, how do I, it's a hard choice. I mean, eventually, you know, contractually, of course, uh, it is the, 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 the person you employed. But I think sometimes just the fact that you've considered the other in and of itself, I, I, I think goes a long way uh, towards finding a solution where, you know, there needs to be a, a give and take. Because you see, just one last thing, if you think about the statistics, 90% of organizations say they offer spousal support. 
of accompanying partners are working. And 70% used to be working prior to assignment. So it, 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 what does this tell you? I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. Right. Right. And I think what we've learned from COVID is what we used to think wasn't possible, right, has now been proven possible. So if we're looking at new models where an individual's life phase is taken into account, and that might be um, making space for teens to be into a stable situation. It could be their partner to finish a master's degree or whatever it might be, taking care of aging parents, that if we allow for space of their life phase, we might actually get a much longer return out of our investment from an organization perspective. But I, I do agree with you, Yvonne, that you said this takes work. It takes innovative thinking. I also think this is why those who are in the decision-making uh, space, if they haven't lived the life themselves, should be talking to people who do live it so that they really understand what's going on and what the implications are. So thank you so much for, for your thoughts today. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Sunday, for having me. And I always enjoy our conversation together. If I were going to the la uh, have last words, I would actually say uh, make cultivate uh, our mindset and make shared decisions. I, I, I think in our mindset uh, will take you a long way. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for what you do. I know that you've done a lot of research for this book and it's crossed a huge scope of geographies and cultures and ages, um, ways of living, sexual orientation, ways of doing family. So I really think that it's a, it's a really important contribution. So thank you so much for all of that. And thank you for listening to Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean. I'll leave you with the words from Stephen Covey. If you're proactive, you don't have to wait for circumstances or other people to create perspective expanding experiences. You can consciously create your own.